welcome you on this beautiful rainy day in January 2017. It's good to be together. Looks like a few folks felt like they couldn't get the boat out of the boat ramp or something and <laughs> didn't make it today, but uh, we're glad you are here. So God, the Holy Spirit, God, the sovereign, providential God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, I worship him with you today, and I'd like to point out this, the beauty and amazing wonder, I'd like to say we planned it this way, but honestly, you probably know better, in fact, our slogan is, you say you don't like organized religion, we're the church for you. <laughs> um, but honestly, we read the Psalms, one, one per week, you know, uh, right through, and also teach the Word of God um, as the Lord leads us, and we're in 1 Corinthians. My message today is about sexual purity, and by God's beautiful, amazing providence, we read Psalm 51 today which is about the sorrow brought on by the lack of sexual purity. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And boy, our worship was really pointed. And I don't know about you, but I was tearing up and I was praying, Holy Spirit, lay it on thick, please. And uh, what's awesome is I want to say something. I am Nathan. I am not Groot. I am Nathan. <laughs> and I'm going to pick up that card right there. Maybe it'll have my outline on it. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I am Nathan. And Nathan is the guy who proclaimed this news to David, isn't, isn't he? I was named after that prophet. There weren't any Nathans in the Wren line. And I'm thankful that being the fourth born, my parents kindly gave me the name of Nathan and I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow me to live up to that name today and also let's let's just proclaim the glory of what we've been singing the gospel there is forgiveness there is forgiveness with our Lord God and when you say have mercy on me he will have mercy on you and when you say I have a broken and a contrite heart. He will forgive. There is forgiveness with him. There is a redeemer. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ died because we are rotten sinners. We are, we are wretched sinners. That's what the cross is about. Wrath. The wrath of God. And Jesus takes the wrath of God. That's why he died. That's what it's all about. It's not some martyr story where the people misunderstood him and killed him. No. The Bible explains it very clearly that he is he's taking our sin upon himself in great mercy and great love. It's love. So I proclaim to you the good news that God forgives sinners. And he washes their sin away. And they're free. And they're given eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them from the Father's hand. And so there's really good news for the 
contrite in heart. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and as I said, I, I believe uh, in the beautiful providence of God, which is the sovereign God who directs all things after the counsel of his own will. Before he created the earth, he had a perfect plan. It's not random. Um, uh, it's, it's planned and perfect. As amazing as that seems to us, he's never surprised. That's the nature of God. And in his loving sovereignty for you today, he brought you here to this rainy little Sunday on this little, little church by the bay. And, but we're going to look at the eternal word of God together the most valuable, wonderful thing ever. And the context of our text today, our text is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. It's just a few verses. Why don't I go ahead and read it, and then we'll uh, add in some contextual layers for us. And there's some... There's some uh, what's the right word? There's some... Um, tools being used here. There's some layers of, of, of interpretation being used here. For example, this phrase, all things are lawful to me, is in quotes, you see, in the English Standard Version. Uh, Bible scholars have come to believe that that was a phrase that, a slogan-like, that the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth particularly, was throwing around, hey, I'm free from the law. Everything's lawful for me. And then they were going on and, and committing sexual sins. We know this. They say, hey, I'm free. I can do this. It's not a problem. Um, and so Paul is sort of using the slogan. Watch out for slogans. Uh, slogans can mislead you. I'm, uh, slogans are great if, if they're true. Um, slogans like follow your heart, right? We attacked that one last week. Uh, your heart is dis deceitful and wicked. Don't follow your heart. It's likely lying to you. Anyway, so here's a slogan. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Quote, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And here's probably another slogan. Verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And we're, we're going to open this up later as, uh, in my outline, Lord willing. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The Greek word there is parneia, which means any kind of sexual immorality. In the old, old English, it was fornication. You'd say the word fornication here. The body is not meant for porneia, for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined, notice the word there in verse 16, 
He who is joined to a prostitute, same word in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God, add his blessing to the reading of his word. Allow me to pray. Father, in your kindness, lead us and guide us and open your word to each and every one of us. Oh, Father, please, in this time, lay it on thick where it needs to be laid on thick. Break us and bring us to yourself that we would say with David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then we would move to the point of knowing you forgive us and wash us clean. Amen. So, as I said, I want to start out with a little bit of, of context here. Paul made very bold statements in just the previous paragraph, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, last week, I sort of introduced those. I didn't really crack it open too much. I don't think it probably needs to be opened too much. It's very plain and straightforward. He says in verse 9, this is 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Just pause there. What he's saying is those who live defying God in unrepentant unrighteousness will not go to heaven, in essence. That's what he's saying. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. The uh, corollary of that is they go to hell. That's what he's saying. It's those who, who are unrepentant, who refuse to confess. Confess means to agree with God. Homo legeo, to say the same thing that God says about your sin. It's, it's not those that are perfect who go to heaven. It's those who confess their sin. <laughs> it's the wicked who say, I am wicked. Please forgive me. Those inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's what he that's what he's mean, means here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I really tried to hit that uh, spike hard last week. Uh, it's a beautiful phrase. Paul likes it. He says it a few times. You know, remember, it's, isn't it in Galatians? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Uh, he also uses the phrase once again, I think in, in Corinthians, do not be deceived. And we talked about how there's three huge layers of potential deception. First, our own hearts. And I already mentioned that one. Uh, the world wants to tell you that your heart is somehow pure and wonderful, magical, you know, dream some dreams, follow your heart. But the Bible says, as David said in uh, Psalm 51, I was born in iniquity. I am a sinner from birth. I'm broken. 
So my natural compass is not trustworthy. And so don't trust your heart. Your heart is deceptive. Then I took us to the book of Revelation. And we looked at the fall of Babylon, remember? And Babylon is symbolic of the entire world system. Uh, the economic, the arts, uh, everything that is the world. Entertainment. And, and in the book of Revelation, it says that Babylon has deceived the entire world by its sorcery. And I don't think it's talking about black magic and a pointy-hatted wizard there. It's saying that there, there's a power in deception. People, the truth is, honestly, think of it this way. I'm an individual. I'm a sinner. I'm, my compass is broken. I'm in rebellion against God. Guess what? I want to be deceived. I'm sitting there saying, please deceive me. Because my natural bent is rebellion and I want to wander. I have a, a, a natural propensity to desire for you to fool me. Right? You understand? Somebody could nod or I'll go over it all again. <laughs> so that your, your heart will deceive you. The whole system, the world deceives you. And then the Bible clearly teaches that there is an, an actual individual Satan who deceives the entire world somehow. And he, there's demons, there's, there's a spiritual power. Uh, and I, I've experienced that. I don't know if you have, you probably have. Uh, let's, let's put it this way. We all have without, without knowing it, right? Possibly, knowing it or not knowing it. But every once in a while, you're sort of just minding your own business. You're not being deceived by your own heart. You're not being deceived by the world. You're just walking along and everything is great. And then, wham, some kind of filthy, rotten temptation just comes right at you. You ever had that experience? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, there's, there's a horde of enemies that are trying to get you. And they're trying to deceive you. So Paul lays it down real hard here in verse 9. Do not be deceived. And then he has this list of, of very serious sins that if you don't repent of these sins, you don't turn away from them, they won't be forgiven. You can't just habitually continue on in these sins and expect God to overlook it. He says, no, neither the sexually immoral, that's our word, those who are rebelling against God in their sexual purity. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. That's to put anything above God. You know, that, that's to say, well, I think my spiritual life is kind of important, but for now, I'm going to pursue the game of golf. And I happen to get uh, tea time every Sunday morning for some reason. You know? <laughs> Uh, and that's anything that comes between you and God is an idol. And we, we're, we're filled with them. We're rich enough to have uh, billions of gods, if, you know, certainly at least millions. Uh, sometimes it has, it has paint on it, like a cool-looking car. Or maybe even a canvas, huh? All kinds of things. You can imagine what this is. So somebody who doesn't repent of their idolatry won't go to heaven. Nor, I, nor adulterers. 
You know, the church has just gone really soft on adultery. And uh, it, it is, it is not, it's not something to, to lighten up on, to dumb down. The sin, the sin of adultery is super serious with God. Uh, if you don't repent of it, you, you miss out on heaven. I, I don't really, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll let God work this out, right? And thank the Lord, we all have to let God work it out. But I've, I've sat in this little office over here counseling people, saying, okay, so if you make this decision, the Bible clearly teaches it's adultery. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. And six months later, they make that decision. I'm thinking, did they just trade heaven? I don't know. I don't, I hope, I don't know. But this verse doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, does it? They haven't repented of it. This is serious stuff. (laughs) And and then, nor men who practice homosexuality. Uh, There's two words here um, that they've they've put into one, meaning the uh, passive homosexual and active homosexual. They've melded that into this phrase, nor men who practice homosexuality. It could be nor effeminate, nor those who practice homosexual acts, sodomy. Unrepented, they won't go to heaven. That's, that's, that's what it is. Nor thieves, nor the greedy. You know, we shouldn't dumb down these sins either. Uh, we might be more comfortable with a greedy person than with an adulterer or, or a homosexual, but that would be wrong. All of these are unforgivable if they don't repent. They, they're not unforgivable, but they, if they don't repent, they're still there in, in uh, they're grasping that instead of God. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, uh, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the beauty. This is the big, huge envelope. Let, let's put this message today in uh, also, and that is verse 11. And such were some of you. He's saying, as I look through this list of sins that without repentance can't be overcome, you were some of those people, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. You can be washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's, that's how Paul gets into the whole sexual sin. Of course, in chapter 5, he introduced the topic hugely, uh, which we won't get back into, but that's, that's there, there, too, in the context. I also want to point out one other contextual thing, and it has to do, I mentioned this last week, the tone of this text. The, did you hear the phrase, as I read it, do you not know? Do you not know? Um, it's ten times in, in the book of First Corinthians. Ten times. The phrase, do you not know? It's, it's sort of like, hey, wait a minute. How did you miss this? Don't you get this? Don't you know? It's ten times in the book of First Corinthians. It's six times in chapter six. So six out of ten are in this book. And it's several times in our text today. If you just look at uh, the phrases in chapter 6 with me. 
verse uh, 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And then verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And then, let's see. Down in verse 9. I think it's the third one. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then, uh, then in our text uh, today, there's three more of them. Let's see. Where's the first one? There's, I think verse 15. Uh, and, and do you not know, right, verse 15, verse 16, or do you not know, and verse 19, or do you not know, that's what you call a, a theme in a message. Uh, the most famous theme that we think of of Martin Luther King Jr. is what? I have a dream. One of the greatest speeches in American history, and certainly in the top ten probably. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. It's, it's an effective rhetorical tool. And here, God, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is coming back to this phrase over and over again. What's the purpose of that phrase? Well, God expects us to know, right? It's, it's nothing like, oh, this is too complicated. Don't worry about it. Let's let the professionals understand the Bible. And you just follow your heart. <laughs> no. It, he expects us to know. He expects us to be self-governing. He has high expectations for you. He's not looking at you and saying, oh, well, they're a mess. They can't control their sexual urges. So he throws up his hands and says, well, I just, well, I, yeah, kids will be kids. Boys will be boys. Teenagers will be teenagers. There's no hope for them. Abstinence isn't possible. They're not even, they're barely sentient beings <laughs> as our world wants to do. And, and Paul says, no. We've got to raise ourselves and our kids in an environment that says, what did you miss here? You, know, you are to know this. We honor the image of God in you, which is to be governing on truth, to be operating on truth and not cultural whims or, or rotten slogans or, worst of all, the guidance of our perverse broken, lustful hearts. Right? Amen? Amen. This is exciting. It's wonderful. It's honoring to the creation of God. This is, he's, we're recreated, new creations in Christ of the original image of God that governs itself on knowledge, the knowledge of the truth. We've got to speak truth. Think truth. Love truth. Be, be committed to it. You know, this is for me, right? I'm married to Charlotte. She's my wife. She's my one and only. That's the truth. I, I can't lust after four, five, one, two, one hundred, seven hundred other women. No, that's wrong. It's, it's a lie, right? Absolutely. He is expecting us to be guided by the truth, not our desires, our feelings, or anything else. 
So that's the introduction. Let's, let's look at this purity in this text. What I mean to do is sort of outline what the Holy Spirit has given us here. And hopefully, it, it, you, we put a thing in the bulletin if you want to take down some notes, because I have, there's a lot of content here in these few verses. What is it, nine verses? Something like that. Okay, we already did that. So this was six times in, our, in chapter six, six out of ten in the book of Corinthians, first Corinthians. Secondly, purity, why? And what I mean here is, what's the reason for purity? Why should we do this? Why should we try to be sexually pure? First of all, Paul attacks the cultural attitude of sort of a casualness, like all things are lawful. Um, there's a casual attitude towards sex, and it is wrong to be casual about it. There's common, common attitudes can lead you astray. I've already said this, hopefully forcefully. And I think these, these things, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything I think those kind of apply to some areas of our life that are subjective, like the thing itself may, may not in itself be wrong, uh, but is it really helpful? Is, or is it perhaps addictive or habit-forming? It, you know, it may not be wrong for you to smoke. Uh, I don't think you can ever find in the Bible, thou shalt not smoke, right? smoke a cigarette, for example. Uh, but it's clearly not that helpful. It's not healthful. And it's clearly habit-forming, right? So these things uh, fit into this category, saying, no, we should be thoughtful. And there's certain things in our uh, dating relationship that may not be wrong on the face of it, but uh, is it really helpful? (laughs) And, And could it be something you become enslaved to? So he says, watch the common attitudes. They can lead you astray. And there's these two helpful ways to measure that. Is it habit-forming? Is it helpful? And, and then I already introduced this idea. Um, casual, wait a minute. What happened there? Sorry. Uh, sometimes this thing doesn't really work too well. Okay. Oh, I made two slides here. Everything's good. It, it, it worked and I didn't. <laughs> a casual attitude towards sex is wrong. That's still the header and some more information under that. Even if it seems natural, it is wrong. It is a huge evolutionarily energized idea that we're, we're just animals. We're just, we are just animals, they say. There's nothing deeper about us. And, and in fact, for men... It's very natural for them to want to have multiple partners. This is, this is what they teach, and I'm not teaching this, right? But that's what they teach. It's just normal. It's just natural. Well, it is actually to a broken, sinful human being to be in rebellion against God in that way. And that seems to be what Paul is picking up here in verse 13. It's like an analogy. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. There seemed to be an analogy saying, well, hey, if I'm hungry, it's just natural, and my body is made for this, I will feed the hunger. It's made for this, and it's normal, and I'm just going to do this. But he says, 
and God will destroy both one and the other. I think that's actually, I personally think that's a part of the uh, wrong slogan uh, because God is, is not going to destroy the body. In fact, he'll tell us in a minute, it's going to be resurrected. It's actually eternal. So it's not just a toss away. It's something permanent and real. Uh, you, you can't just use it and throw it away. Um, the body is not, see here's verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. No matter how many strong desires you have, God has not made you to be a serial adulterer. That, that is not true. The world wants to tell you that's true, but it is not true. That, God didn't make you for that. God did not make us to be living in sexual immorality. In fact, the body is made for the Lord. It's not just a biological issue. There's something more deeply ingrained in our human nature. The body is meant for the Lord. Um, hmm, that's interesting. I want to fix that. <laughs> I have a couple of quotes here that are helpful uh, at this point. This is from John MacArthur in his, uh, his commentary. He said this, perhaps this was a popular proverb, which is, uh, all things are lawful to me, and the food, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food. A popular proverb to celebrate the idea that sex is purely biological, like, like eating. The influence of philosophical dualism may have contributed to this idea, since it made only the body evil. Philosophical dualism is this very Greek idea that we are, we're two parts. We're the, the flesh and, and the spirit. And the flesh is just uh, the body. It's, it's sort of valueless. It floats like a feather. And it's just going to be destroyed. And it's really nothing. So you can do anything you want in the body. All that matters is sort of your spirit. It's very unbiblical. God created us. We're, we're created body and spirit, uh, the, uh, and the two are eternal, actually. So again, again, back to John MacArthur's quote. The influence of philosophical dualism may have contributed to this idea since it made only the body evil. Therefore, what one did physically was not preventable. He's really picking up on something because that's the argument. I can't prevent this. It's just my body. I mean, I've got to do what my body tells me to do. I'm hungry, I eat a hot dog. I want sex, I go have sex. And again, no, 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 not the image of God. The image of God is, don't you know, God wants you to govern yourself by truth. Control your body led by God's truth. Okay. Therefore, what one did physically was not preventable and thus inconsequential. This is so important. This is John MacArthur's quote. Because our world is trying to say that if there's a biological cause for your behavior, then you are no longer at fault, and it really doesn't matter. And, and we're even applying it to murder. You know? Well, they, they can't be held responsible because they were, they're sick. And it's really sad that they murdered somebody, but uh, they're just... They're enslaved to their biological configuration. And uh, the Bible challenges that and, and asks us to grow and overcome. 
Because the relationship between these two is purely biological and temporal, the Corinthians, like many of their pagan friends, probably used that analogy to justify sexual immorality. And then here's a nice little quote on the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. As the stomach requires food for its proper function, so the body requires the Lord to fulfill its God-intended purpose of service and sacrifice. And can find, the body, that is, can find its true satisfaction only in Him. So as we grow closer to the Lord, we'll have our true satisfaction in Him. Okay, I've got to get through this because uh, I only have... 45 more minutes to to finish. (laughs) And they all laughed nervously. (laughs) The body is eternal. This is a biblical teaching. It it creeps into the church all the time. Um, Betsy's not here, so I'll freely say this. In fact, this is something Tony said once in a while. It was just just wrong. He'd say, look at this body. It's nothing. Just throw it away. It's, It's just temporary. That's not true. The Bible says that body will be buried and it'll probably rot away and be gone. But the Bible says it will be raised and it will be changed into a... So this body is recyclable (laughs) in the best sense of the word and it will be recycled. And in fact, the Bible teaches that every human being who ever lives, even if you totally hate this, You totally don't agree with this. You will be raised again. You will be you forever and ever. That's why it's so important to get right with God. Because you don't want to be you in the fallen state, unforgiven forever and ever. That's that's horrible. That's a fate worse than birth. And here, here it comes from the text, you see. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He's saying, your body is not a throwaway. It's going to be raised. The body is a member of Christ. We, we become one with him. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And look at the words here. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them into members of a prostitute? May it never, never be. No way. That's a, it's a horrible, blasphemous idea. There is no casual sex. Sex creates a union. Sex creates a union. And, and I pointed that out as I read it, this word joined. The word joined here means to be glued. When... You're glued to someone. Or do you not know? Again, he's saying, please, you you need to know this. Before you take action, remember this, that he who is joined, and that word glued, connected to a prostitute, becomes one body with her. And if I may be crude, a condom does not prevent the joining, right? Obviously not. He's talking about... They're doing what is happening. There is no casual sex. I have a little note on this right here, yeah. Joined literally means glued. And here's a quote from a commentator. The bond is as close as can be. 
And so verse 16, and then he says in verse 17, but he who is joined, same word, to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So that's why. That's why we should be pure. There's huge values at stake here. Secondly, how? It's actually really simple. It's this one verse, 18, flee from sexual immorality. What does flee mean? It means to run. And the interesting thing is we need to run from sexual immorality. Uh, the, the word run is in the present tense, indicating constant vigilance. Uh, in Greek, the Greek language, when they switch to the present tense verb, it's significant. In, you could say, keep running, continue running from sexual immorality. That means you've you got to always constantly be aware of this. And here's a good quote from um, a commentator. Disapproval is insufficient. Evasive action is required. You, here it is, guys. Here it is. Here's the victory that we need over this powerful foe. It's we've got to learn to run. We've got to learn to take evasive action. And the Bible teaches us, actually, in 1 Corinthians 10, that whenever we have a temptation, there will be, what, a way of escape. There's always an escape. Take it. Look for it. It, it, it. It'll be there. I've seen it myself. It's so exciting. Like, wow, that's it. I'm going there. I, I'm going to overcome this thing. Lord, help me. Okay. How? We need to run from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality uh, is against your own body. Again, just sort of knowing what this is about. This is, it's so bad. You run from this because it's so dangerous. Um, I know this is, I come back to this illustration too much, but I'll do it just one more time. <laughs> here, here in California, probably everywhere in the whole United States, particularly in the winter, but it seems to happen year-round, your house gets invaded by rodents. And particularly in my garage, and I have a storage bin, right, that gets invaded by rodents. So I'm sort of the rodent hunter. And I'm all, all constantly trying to figure out how to overcome them. <laughs> and one effective way is, is poison. Uh, the, the bad thing about that is if they're in your house, you get stuck in the wall after they die, it's not a happy moment, right? <laughs> happens occasionally. But this is what I'm saying. You, they look at this block of poison and they think, oh, this looks like really good food. I'm going to chow down. I'm going to eat a whole lot of it. It's, it's, oh, it's so wonderful. Don't you love this stuff? Oh, man, I'm going to come here more often. This is amazing. But it, it's killing them, right? Every bite, it's killing them. It's against their own body. You know, and they, they should know this. <laughs> Which I'm glad they don't. <laughs> um, Run from that poison. Run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's something deep and profound. A sex is not just a biological function. It's deeply, profoundly spiritual. It glues you together. There's, you know, there's even biological truth in this. That, that um, They've done research on on what happens to a couple, a married couple, when they've been together 
a lot. There, there's, there's something deep and profound and amazing that's happening in that union. So you sin against your own body. Is this, is this fulfilled in, in venereal diseases, uh, sexually transmitted diseases? That could be a partial fulfillment of this, but I think it's probably even a deeper, more spiritual problem. So why and now how, how, how do we get purity? We run away from it. And here's, here's a couple of anti-slogans. I'm saying this is reproductive freedom. People are marching in the streets of D.C. yesterday saying, we want reproductive freedom. The Bible says this is it. You can control your reproductivity by whom and when you have sex with. That is freedom. You are free to make this choice. You're not uh, biologically required to enter into this activity. And uh, secondly, or finally, this is safe sex. I mean, this is so awesome. This is is it. This is full, 100% safe sex if you obey God's laws. You follow his rules. And you will be actually very happy in the process too. So finally, one last slide. The big picture. Purity. Why? I already said why. Why should we do it? But this is the big picture why. And what does it say here? It says, do you not know, verse 19. In other words, this is something we should put in our minds. The truth and I, I, I will say this myself, I need to re- be reminded of this way more often than I am. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're to be worshiping God in our body and sexual immorality comes against that. You have a divine purpose. This is the big picture. You're a temple. For God's sake, you are a temple. He has huge, wonderful plans for you. He's not a Grinch that wants to steal away your pleasure. (laughs) No, he's got a way bigger pleasure for you. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You please the one who owns you when you're sexually pure. You're not your own. Again, this flies in the face of American sloganism. That is that this is my body, my, our body, ourselves. It was a famous book back in the 80s, I think, 70s, maybe. maybe. No, for Christians particularly, we're bought. We're redeemed. But this also applies to everyone. Every human being actually is owned by God. Uh, and you're, you're not your own. You acknowledge the investment in you. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Look at that. When you're thinking about sexual immorality, God has a big picture, a huge purpose for you. He's invested so much in us. And then finally, you will fulfill your greater purpose. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the greater purpose for, for us He wants us to glorify God as the living, actual temples of God. Let me read a quote from 
a source from 1900, says this. And he's talking about what, how God can glorify himself through us. Through you, God can express and reveal what is best in himself. Your love is sustained by his and reveals his. Your approval of what is pure and hatred of impurity has its source in his holiness. Holy, 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 we say. And by transforming you into his own image, he discloses himself as truly dwelling and living within you. Where is God to be found and to be known if not in men? Where can his presence and divine goodness and reality be more distinctly manifest than in Christ and those who are in any degree like him? It is in men that the unseen divine spirit manifests his nature and his work. But if so, what a profanation it is when we take this body, which is built to be his temple, and put it to uses which it were blasphemous to associate with God. Let us rather find our joy in realizing the ideal set before us by Paul in keeping ourselves pure as God's temple in glorifying him in our body. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we will be more and more challenged to live for you and glorify you and manifest your glory. Uh, that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We need your help to do this. We cannot do it alone at all. Unless you build a house, we labor in vain to build it. So, dear Father, work through us to glorify yourself. And Lord, we're so thankful that as we look at sin, which is real and can separate us from you forever, we're so thankful that with you there is the forgiveness of sins. As we come in faith, receiving Jesus Christ, believing that he died for our sins, and knowing that as we repent and turn to him, he will forgive us and never turn us away. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen.